Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This is Walter with Chasing Tales. We are back. I hope you had a great weekend. You're fresh with some sunburns. You, you got a cooler full of fish. Well, hopefully a freezer full of fish now. And uh, all, all's been well. You're back at the office and you're and you're just not quite ready to, to focus. So we can hopefully distract you here. I say we because on the phone with me, I've got uh, Chase Prince. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Walter. How you doing? I'm here. That's half the battle. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, man, I'm glad to be on. Well, we, you and I, we've been we've been texting back and forth for for quite some time. I think you were on the the Nine, Fan, Nine Fingers Chronicles uh, podcast, as I was, and uh, I'm I'm assuming that you you saw one of my comments on uh, Dan's post. Yeah, yeah, I saw where you had posted, and I was like, man, I said, oh, this is another Florida hunter. I said, I gotta. I had I had not heard your podcast before that, where you had commented. Right. Of course, like back and listen to your podcast, but um, I was like, man, who is this guy? Let me uh, let me start talking to him. So yeah, and I, as a matter of fact, I think when I commented, we we had a expected re- uh, start date of the podcast of you know last summer, last fall, and then my my co-host has you know had some some health troubles, and I think actually when I made that original post, we still had yet to make our first uh episode launch i could be wrong but uh yeah it was cool you know it's it's i've always you know celebrated the outdoor or praised rather the outdoor community because it's always been one where you can always find somebody somewhere who shares the same passion as you do and and you know you can almost always hit it off you know like like y'all know known each other forever and you and i text throughout the day and, and bounce ideas off of each other and uh, it's been it's been great to have your company thus far during the off season. So I'm glad to have you on here. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I can say the same thing. It's my mind has been constantly running this off season. I mean, I right. I did have probably my best hunting year this past season, but it's just been it just made me want to grind more, <laughs> um, and it's just lit a fire in me to have even more passion to be out chasing deer and it's always great when you have someone that you can kind of go to when you're thinking about something you're like hey man what do you think about this right or, or, have you ever encountered this um type deer? and i mean that's just that's just been great for me i mean i have some buddies that i hunt with but they're not as let's say hardcore sure as i sure so to have somebody who is on that same wavelength exactly i'm in the same boat i've got you know my co-host is he's into hunting but he's he's more so into saltwater fishing, mainly his big thing is turkey hunting. So, you know, I text him, hey, man, I'm thinking about trying out the such and such arrows, and he is cool. Tell me how that works out. And it's like, okay, well, 
<laughs> I might as I might as well have said you know to my wife you know she you know God bless her she listens to everything I say and she gives me the best feedback she can but uh, you know there's a time and a place that you need a buddy who can be like well I shot X and X er- such and such arrows and and they just blow apart as soon as you hit something hard and you know there's there that feedback mechanism has been great and I'm I'm on the the polar opposite of you this year I you know my la- last year for me did not end well <laughs> it was probably the 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 a season of highs and lows like I've never experienced before. So I'm on the other spectrum of here. I'm, I'm, I'm fired up cause I'm determined not to have, you know, this year follow suit. So, but we're going to talk some, some whitetail hunting. We're going to recap your, your season last year and, and, and some of your successes and near failures that ended in successes. But before we do, I'd like to thank our title sponsor, wild edge incorporated maker of the stepladder. Great fella, great product. You've heard us for eight podcasts now tell you all about it and if you want to hear more about it you can go back and find our bonus podcast that we put out with uh andrew walter who's the owner or you can go to wild edge incorporated or wildedgeinc.com and he has got a variety i mean just a slew of videos of how to use that product and it's it's a great tool well chase how in in a some total sense how did your season end up what how many deer did you put in the freezer I put in the freezer for myself uh, probably five. Um, I donated some deer um, to some family members, and I also had some uh, coworkers as well that they don't hunt, but of course they love venison. So every year I try to get them some deer meat as well. But as far as the total in Florida this past season, I took six bucks. <laughs> and that's gonna that's a, a terrific season by anybody's standards and i can just only think about the people we've got some listeners that are in the midwest who get maybe one or two two buck tags maybe and i'm i'm sure they just heard that and 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 pump the brakes a bit <laughs> yes about that and i'm like man i don't i don't i'm not really sure what i would do if i had one buck tag you know what i mean right if i would Florida had some better regulations, obviously, but it does extend your season. I mean, you get you can hunt every day of the season because there you don't you're not looming with that one or two buck tag that you have. Um, I wish the regulations were a little bit different, but right. Well, and they're 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 making some efforts. I think it, it may not be a, a perfect system yet, but you know, the the season I first came here there was I believe 2015 was when they implemented those uh, DMUs, deer management units, and they tried to. Uh, regulate the, the the quality of the bucks and 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 I think it's it's oh, isn't it like north of a certain state line in the middle of the Florida the regulations change. Yeah, the regulations. I mean, they are almost. I mean, there's six. I, think, I believe there's like six zones or maybe more, and they're all a little bit different. Right. The funny part is, is I live on one of the dividing lines, so at my house. It's a three-pointer better on one side rule. Across the street, it's a two-pointer better. I'm right at the dividing line. But I do I hunt on the side where it's actually a two-point or better. Oh, nice. But, I, I mean, I don't, I don't go by that myself. Sure. That's just the state law. Well, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. I couldn't tell you what a legal buck is here because I know a legal buck for me, excuse me, a legal buck for me is, is going to be you know, far greater than the, the three points on one side or a 10 inch main beam. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, 
and I'm I'm on I'm on the I'm on the border of I'm in the exact same position as you. I'm on the on the border of not only two DMUs but also two zones. So I'm on the I'm on the border of zone C and zone D. So half of my season starts September third week in September. The other half of my season doesn't start till the third week of October. So I've got I've got some property that I hunt that I can hunt through the end of February if I wanted to, and I've got some property that uh, you know I'm I'm done on there come January thirtieth. Yeah, but I mean that's like I say that's another great part about hunting Florida is absolutely then it can be so long. I mean from South Florida to the Panhandle, you're talking about from July to February. I mean <laughs> that just blows my mind every time I hear that out loud. <laughs> Florida, no, it's not a big buck state. No one's ever going to confuse Florida with even close to being a big buck state. But there are opportunities in taking some game. I mean, for sure. I mean, you definitely get that time. Plus, you have Absolutely. all the fishing as well. So it's it's a good sportsman state. I'll put it that way. Absolutely. And, and in, in certain pockets, it's even a good for, for waterfowl. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a great state. I mean, it's a great sportsman state for sure. It is. It is. I think, you know, if I, I looked, I should have wrote down the numbers, but I looked in the the Boone and Crockett bucks and the Popignon bucks from from Florida, and you know, you 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 compare it to one state north, which is Georgia, it it's dwarfed immediately. But I can't help but wonder how many, because of the lack of opportunities here in Florida, I can't help but wonder how many bucks uh, are killed that are noteworthy, but people are so tight lipped around here. They don't want them in the registry because that'll draw attention to a little uh, nook in paradise. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I know of some guys, um, myself that for years they killed deer. I mean, you're talking 140 to one bucks and they have, they're on their wall, but they're, they're not in the Florida registry. I mean, Mm. (laughs) prime pieces of real estate. And they don't tell anybody about it. So, except for maybe a close friend or a picture that they may have seen in their house or they've been in their house. You're like, man, where'd you kill those? And they'll be like, that place. And I mean, that's all. <laughs> in the woods. <laughs> Over there, you know. That. Yeah. So, but yeah, there there are some there's some big buck killers out there for sure. But like I say, there's areas in Florida that do produce decent whitetails. You just so either you don't hear about them, or I mean, there's just a lot of people. There's there's a lot of deer, I would say, in Florida as well. So I would just say there's a lot of people that are content with killing the two and three year olds as well. Yeah, it's it's kind of tough. Well, and my well my scale kind of slides based on where I'm hunting. You know, I've got 120 acres on the east side of Leon County that I hunt, and uh, the landowner's got you know three or four really big racked bucks and i've seen some of the largest bucks i've ever seen there on uh his some of the biggest bucks i've ever seen in person have been on his property and it's just this goldilocks type uh place right in between some ag and it's just a great piece of property and it has some of those uh some great bucks but then you know on the west side of the of town when i'm hunting public land i'm gonna have to which is gonna be like a big you know step for me this year but i'm gonna have to familiarize myself with what a minimum regulations is because if it's legal i'm probably going to end up shooting it because i'm out there with 150 other joe blows that are you know they're not going to pass up on that kind of thing yeah that's the thing is they're not holding back i mean it's public land if everybody's not managing it 
Exactly. Kill what? As long as you're killing what's legal, I tell people, I was like, I don't have a problem. I mean, exactly. My standards of what I want to kill on certain areas, but at the end of the day, it's all about your own personal experience out there. And I'm not going to put a damper on somebody's hunting. I mean, I get to hunt a lot. Some guys don't get that. So if they go out and they kill a legal deer and that makes them happy and they get the meat, then I'm just as happy for them as I would be if I killed it myself. That's the way I like to look at things. So, and I just, absolutely much, I'm not going to impinge on other people. I'm going to do, I can do my thing. They can do their thing. So I believe there's a happy, happy medium there. A good compromise to be had. I agree. So, uh, so walk us through. You, you, you killed deer in only Florida, or did you go out of state a little bit this year? Uh, I went out of state at in January, like right at the end of January, early February, uh, to Alabama. Um, I I did kill a deer there, but I mean, it was at this guy's place that I know, and he he was getting out of the lease. And he was pretty much said, hey. You see it. You want to take back some meat? Then go ahead. It was a it was a young eight point. Nothing nothing crazy. It was actually a very tough hunt because it was so warm up there this year. Um, and plus, I mean, they had been pressured. It was right at the end of the season. So, but I mean, I still had a good time. Uh, but like I said, the deer movement was kind of slow. But I did. I can say I killed a deer in Alabama. I guess now. But so so you've killed you've killed deer in two states now this past season but i've i've killed deer in texas as well I've florida oh okay and i went out to texas five or six years ago a couple of years in a row yeah and and you've when we've been talking this is something we'll talk on on another podcast about is you know you're, you're starting to to venture out into that midwest and i think that's a dream of a lot of people including myself to go after some bigger whitetails so i'm interested to to you know pick your brain a little bit on that and uh talk about maybe some of the states you, you eyeballed and the way that you went about it. Um, but you had a, you had a kind of interesting encounter this year, uh, during muzzleloader season. I was, I was hoping you'd, you'd share that story with us and kind of the backdrop behind that. Yes. Well, first, if you don't mind, I'd, I would like to kind of talk about maybe my bow season leading up to the muzzleloader. Absolutely. Whatever you want to share about it. Go ahead. Well, um, for bow season, I, in Florida, as you know, it's kind of hard to pattern deer. I mean, it's just it's just one of them things. I've done it a few times, but, I mean, they got so many places that they can bed down and places that they can go and hide. It's just tough to pattern a deer. And I set up in a new spot this year, was kind of doing something different, and I caught this nice buck on camera, and he was coming in consistent. And I set up, I went in there that morning. I had kind of, I didn't really check the wind. I just kind of went off of what the weather app said it was. Got set up and it's breaking daylight. And I look up, I, I can see him coming. I mean, so I was in some thick oh, pines. I can see him coming from probably maybe 60 yards. He comes around, he starts hitting this scrape. It was a big scrape. I didn't even know the scrape was there. He starts hitting this big scrape. Well, he's coming in on a string to me. And he gets within about 20 yards, and I am just at the point where, like, okay, one more step. Um, I'll be ready. I'll be, I'll be drawn back. And this deer's mine. Sure enough, he takes that step, and he does, like, a 180. And he heads off. And I'm like, I was like, what just happened? Because, I, I mean, I didn't make any noise. I, I, 
nothing spooked him. So I was like, man. So I get out my windicator, hit a little puff, and all of my scent, I didn't realize, was just banking down. Like it wasn't going, it was just going everywhere. And so I learned, I did learn a lesson there. Um, you always got to kind of check the wind and right. make sure that it's in your favor. Sometimes in Florida, you don't know where they're going to come from, but I just assumed because the wind was blowing, it was probably like a two or three mile per hour wind anyway, so it wasn't anything crazy, that all my scent was being carried away from the deer, and as I found out, it wasn't. So that was that was a tough pill to swallow because I was like, man, he was, he was just right there. It was just one of the deals where you're like, oh, man. I was so close to closing the deal on this deer that I had had <laughs> and I had a plan and I came in, but as you know, in hunting, the plans don't always want them to. So I, I ended up killing a buck right at the end of bow season. He was a decent buck. He was chasing a, uh, he was actually chasing a doe. Um, and I shot him at 40 yards. So that was, I had never shot a deer at that, that far before until this there you go so most of my shots were usually in that 25 to 30 yard range is how i set my shots up because i just feel more comfortable at that angle so i don't have just like a real steep angle because i like to get high in a tree a lot of the times so i did i did how high how high do you normally climb just curious uh, well if i'm in my climber i mean i probably get up it just depends on what kind of tree it is i mean probably about 25 feet between 20 and 25 feet out of my climber. Okay. So just because some of the air, they don't, I don't really have a lot of backdrop. So I just try to compensate with that. with just, with getting higher. <laughs> sure. So that makes sense. I, I, that's, that's, I think a, a common thing for a lot of our Southern hunters who, you know, hunt pine rows and whatnot. You, there is no cover. So you just have to get high. Right. Yeah. I just, I mean, I'll, I'll pick the fattest tree to where I think I need to be. And I'll just, go up as high as I think I need to be <laughs> sure. type thing. Um, so anyways, on to muzzleloader. So that was at the end. So we got opening, this is opening morning of muzzleloader season. Um, and I, I mean, I love the bow hunt. Don't get me wrong, but I'm also I told you earlier this year that bone collectors don't discriminate, <laughs> <laughs> but obviously I would like to say I bow hunt the whole season, but I do, I do love black powder for some reason, but that's, We'll, we'll get you there. We'll get you there slowly but surely. That's the time of year where things are happening in my I mean, right. That the rut in my area starts around the middle of October and usually tails off around that first weekend of November. So they'll, they'll it'll continue to be a trickle, but the most activity is from that middle of October to around the first week of November. I mean, that's when we just get, you just, you start seeing more bucks on their feet in daylight, start seeing a lot of chasing. So that, that's the best time to be in the woods where I'm at. So I'm sitting there opening morning. Well, I have, I need to go back a little bit. I have a buddy of mine that hunts in the same club that I hunt. And we're hunting this area where I, hit, I sit there every season, opening day of muzzleloader no matter what. It does, I mean, it's just it's just kind of like a that's my it's a superstition, and I've got to sit there. So my buddy is thinking that he wants to sit a couple of hundred yards away from. Me. He's like, man, he goes, I because I think that 
we got a good shot. We're, we'll be a couple of hundred yards away. I've been seeing some deer coming from further away. You won't be able to make that shot. And it would be kind of in the middle. If it's on this side of the trees, you get the shot. <laughs> if it's on that side of the right. I'll take the shot type deal. So I was like, well, I was like, well, it's not going to hurt anything. I mean, he set up a stand. So we're sitting there and it's, I had seen a little bit of activity. It was getting at this point, it was getting till probably about nine, nine fifteen in the morning. And I had just started seeing some like activity, like some smaller bucks chasing does. Um, just your, your average, like four points and six points, even a few spikes kind of mixed in. They were all kind of out, out on the feet. I'm sitting and I'm like, man, it was kind of cool that morning. We did have like a little cold front that morning, which was awesome because we, we did see a bunch of deer activity. And it gets about probably about 1030, between 1015 and 1030 in the morning. And on that, when they're moving like, like that, there'll be times that I'll sit till one o'clock. I mean, just the, the deer movement, it's just so good, it, the time flies. You, you have the days where it's just like, I can't believe it's almost one o'clock because you, you've seen so much deer movement. So I'm sitting on in my stand, and I look up and out steps this buck. He was an eight-point, big body. I mean, he probably was every bit of 130 inches. And he just steps out. It's just one of the deals where they, he just, boom, there he is. He just appears. So I'm looking at him. I'm trying to get set up on this deer. And he's looking in the direction of where my hunting buddy is sitting. He, he comes out, and he's looking dead in the direction of where he's at. And I'm like, so that kind of took me off guard. So I'm getting ready to take the shot. Well, the deer takes off on a sprint. I think he ended up winding my buddy and he starts running. So of course, what do I do? I yell, I yell at him and he stops. Well, I had to take a quick shot, take the shot. Deer does like a 180 and hauls it. And I'm like, man, I said, I felt like I was good on him. But I, I mean, in the heat of the moment, it was like, it was, this all happened in probably five seconds. I mean, it was just one of the deals where everything happens all at once once the smoke right. clears, I saw the deer run back into the woods. So we sat for like an hour, and my buddy's text was like, "Oh my god, I saw the whole thing go down. That was like being <laughs> in the state of Florida." He's like, "You're not going to believe this. I had just hit my bleak can like eight or nine times before that deer popped out. So I, <laughs> that's what made that buck pop out of the woods. Is he was sitting there with one his bleak can." And that uh, I was coming to investigate. So I may have never seen that deer that morning if he wouldn't have been just playing around because he hadn't seen a whole lot. I, From my viewpoint, I had seen a lot more than he had. So he was kind of in that stage of like boredom. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, so we wait for like an hour, get down, go look. And I mean, there's no blood there. There is not one drop of blood. We, we saw, we both saw where the deer went in and the shot was about, I ranged it afterwards. It was about 135 yards. I mean, I was, I had shot that gun. I knew I was good to that. Um, so I was like, man, what, what happened? I mean, I didn't know. So I was like, well, I guess it was just buck fever. That's what I chalked it up to. I was like, well, maybe it was just buck fever. I rushed, you know, sometimes when you get to a rush, you make errors do things that you normally wouldn't do 
Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I just had to chalk it up. It's kind of one of those ones you're like, man, you kind of get that. It's just like you get that gut feeling. Like it almost makes you sick because you're like, man, that a stud. Like it was, it was, I mean, oh, yeah. it was just, you're like, man, that was my, that was just a big deer. So, and my buddy, of course, had to rag me. I mean, that was missed you missed oh man i can't believe it. it's like well everybody and then, he's, then he felt bad because he knew the quality of deer that was like he's just like man i i, I feel bad for you <laughs> because i because i at least he's like well at least you had a witness <laughs> right I witness that i missed <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course he had to tell everybody at work i mean oh I, no you work I mean, with him yeah 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 we we, we oh no so uh, well i mean he's missed plenty of deer himself so <laughs> It was. They were all like, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we've heard the <this> story." <laughs> so, but anyways, so I had that happen, and I was kind of. I mean, like I say, you, you you'll kind of get down on yourself at some points during the season. You kind of got to remind yourself. You're like, "Hey, oh yeah." So you're here. You're here to have fun, and I didn't wound the deer. That was the other thing. I I knew I didn't wound him. I mean, it was a clean miss. So I mean, it wasn't like I was sick over that I had wounded a deer and we didn't find them or anything like that. I mean, I, I just, I, I felt good about it after leaving. I was like, man, that was, was definitely a clean miss. There was, it was, we, like I said, we found nothing. So, right. But that was, that was probably my lowest of lows for the, for the season. And after that, it kind of sparked kind of this, this like passion or fire in me. And then the rest of the season, Went great. Um, I did kill my biggest Florida buck this year at the end of the season. Um, but what I found out later is I actually shot at a buck, another buck a couple of days later with that same gun and it had missed. And I was like, man, I have just, I am just off. I was like, I, I don't know what's happened. I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe I'm just, something's off of my form. So I take my gun to the range, shoot it. And it's over 10 inches off at 100 yards. So I don't, at 135 yards when I shot at the, the big buck, I don't know if that means it was further off or what, but it was hitting, it was probably four or five inches high and 10 inches to the left. And I shot at that buck. Yikes. He, he was in that, the, the way he was facing, I would have missed him the way I was aiming at him with that much distance of that gun being off that much sure so so then it's like oh man well i'm looking at my my bag and i'm like uh i'm I'm at the point where i've only got like two or three bullets left of the the ones that i've been shooting so i I had to rush go to the store (laughs) a whole different setup because they didn't even have the bullets i was i was shooting so i was like okay i'm gonna this i'm gonna I've got to go back to the range. I need to make sure everything's on. So I finally got it, and I was like, man, it, it was – I had two shots, and, I mean, they were almost dead on. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm back in business. And I get – that very next morning, uh, they had been cutting pines in our club that year. And the company had given those guys a break for muzzleloader so they could go hunt. And the the guys, wow, that's they, nice of them. They don't hunt in that club, so what that did was is that allowed me to go over and investigate where they had been cutting. Because I'm like, 
no, I knew no uh, over there. The activity that had been over there was guys logging, and they had been doing it for well over a month and a half at this point. And they had probably cut down half the trees that they were going to cut down. So I decide, I'm like, hey, I'm going to take my climber over there. And I set my climber up kind of at a distance one of the days. And I could see a lot of activity in a certain area. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to push in. So that so that morning I had gotten up, sneak in well before daylight. I'm sitting, but it was a kind of, it was one of those like foggy mornings. Like you might be able to see a hundred yards when, when the sun's coming up, but it, it cleared up pretty quick. And I could see this buck across this clear cut where they had been cutting and he was chasing a doe and he looked good. I could, but I could only see one side and he was chasing this doe. Well, I said, if he gives me a shot, I'm going to take it because he, he looked good on, I, all I could see was his one side. And I was like, man, he looks like he's got five points on that side. So he's chasing this doe. He was probably, I finally, he finally stopped because the doe, she ran into the woods, but then she came back out, which gave him just a second of like trying to figure out what she was doing. That was my moment where I was like, okay, I finally got a shot. And I had ranged it and he was around 150 yards. So I took the shot. The smoke clears because, like I said, I'm shooting a muzzle loader, so it took a little while for the smoke to clear, and I I don't see anything. And at this point, I'm like, "Is going on here? I can't. I didn't see nothing." So I'm like, "I said, I was like, well, I was like, I was like, I had to hit that deer. I was like, I felt, you know, when you just you're just like dead set on something that there was just no way. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm sitting there, and it wasn't three minutes later. I look out. And that doe, she was kind of, she had, she had run off and I look up and out steps this, I mean, nice eight point. I mean, and he just steps out acting like he doesn't have a care in the world, except for he's, he's looking at that doe and he steps out. He's like, right. man, I'm, I'm here. I'm the man. And he just stands there and I can tell that he was with the, doe, he was with a doe and he was definitely wanting um, to be with that doe. So I'm like. Well, he stepped out, and I knew from past experiences from my muzzleloader, and I have I have one of those bullet drop compensators, so I know exact, the exact yardage for each one. So I'm like, I'm going to range this deer and just see where he's at. And I ranged him, and he was at 189 yards. Ooh. He was standing out there. I was like, well, I said, I know my muzzleloader can do it. I was like, but can I do it? I was like, I, <laughs> this point. I had not, I did not know that I had even killed a deer yet. So I had, I put it on that circle and I just set real good and set. I was actually hunting in one of the uh, summit climbers. So I got, I got my arms propped up and I was like, okay. So I just slowly pulled the trigger and I watched him. Boom. He falls over dead. Just dropped him. And I was like, okay, my gun, my gun is on. My shoot is on. I'm like, okay. and I knew it was a good buck. I mean, I can see him. And I actually saw him. It was one of the few times in my hunting career where I actually had a buck come out and not be like on high alert or spooky or running or like on, right. on, a, on a decent buck. Like you'll have your, your young deer, they'll, they'll go out there and they'll do whatever. But mature whitetail, I mean, for one, for one to step out in the wide open and be, he's got to be with a doe. I mean, I haven't seen it any other way. Like I have hard, I've never looked and seen a buck, just a nice buck standing out in the open in my hunting experience 
all alone. It's like, oh, I'm out here just hanging out, having a good time, because they just know. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they have that sixth sense. So at this point, I'm like, well, I'm going to get down because I knew that deer was dead. So, And I was way up in a tree in my climber then as well. So I get down, and I go to where I thought where I'd shot at the first one because I knew where the other one was. And I get to where I shot at him at, and I, I can just see blood everywhere. And I'm like, well, and it, he was right on the wood line. And I'm thinking, okay, he ran in the woods. That's why I didn't see him. I was like, I mean, that's logical. He, he's not going to run out in the wide open. He's going to run into the woods. So, and it was, he was right on the edge. So I'm like, so I walk in the woods, probably 10 feet. And I'm like, man, I said, I cannot see any blood. I mean, it was, it was like, it was like, it stopped right there. And I'm like, I was like, man, this is so strange. I was like, I got all this blood on impact, but nothing in the woods. So I was like, well, something just made me turn around and start backtracking. And then he had actually run out into the clear cut. And he was there 20 yards, 25 yards. I just didn't look that way. You just didn't see it? Dead. I couldn't see him. Right. So I had killed, which in Florida you can do, you can kill two bucks in yep. one. Um. And I found out that he did have five on one side, but he was a buck that had just a huge brow tine and a main beam on the other side. Like he didn't produce any more points. So I was like, well, I, he, he was a management buck. That's, what, that's how I ended up doing it. I was like, well, he was a management buck who was just sitting there. And he was, I mean, he was a real good buck. I mean, he went over 100 inches, um, which is pretty good for a Florida deer. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, felt i was like man I, it was just one of the deals where like oh i've, I've redeemed myself i knew guys <laughs> like i was like i've done this a million times so i was just i which i had shot that gun the weird thing was i had shot that gun like two days before i went out it wasn't like i went out cold and didn't shoot that gun so i i i just chalk it up to i was like well it just wasn't meant to be <laughs> just the deals i was like it just wasn't meant to be to kill that big buck but it made me want to hunt harder. So, well, I mean, getting out there and, and finding the motivation is key, especially after, dude, if I had missed two deer like that and found, you know, if I hadn't fi- figured out the gun was, was off, I, I would have been really starting to question myself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was one of the, it's like, it happens once and you're like, well, I mean, I just chalked it up to buck fever. I was like, well, sure. Like, buck fever, man. I was like, it's 130 inch. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're not around every corner. So, and like, as like me and you talked about before the podcast is you get maybe one chance a season at a big buck, like a sighting it may just be sighting. It may not even be a chance to shoot it. You may just get one sighting. That's how rare the a chance that a deer that quality is. So, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's in, you know, I, I grew up with a, you know, an old school teacher. My father was kind of you know, nowadays I don't sit in the same spot more than, you know, one time in a row, you know, some spots I have is off limits. I don't even go in there until, you know, the height of the rut or ideal conditions. My dad was of the mindset of, you know, you're dang sure ain't going to see a deer if you don't get in there and sit. So sit that stand as often as you possibly can. And eventually a deer walk out. And, you know, one of, one of his maxims always was, you know, well, if you hunt hard enough, you'll see more deer. And well, kind (laughs) of, you know, that, that holds true to to an extent, but it seems like every year that goes by, what you just said is 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 spot on. You've got one opportunity, 
And, you know, all too often it seems like you missed the opportunity because you weren't looking in the right direction at the right time or your phone went off and you checked it to, to make sure everything was okay and you look up just to catch his tail end going into the tree line, you know, and that's all she wrote. That was your season right there. If you were going to kill a big one, it would have been right then. Yeah. Yeah, you just – I mean, you never know when that chance is going to pop. It always seems like it pops out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. I've, it's not like I got to watch that deer for five minutes on a feeder or out in a food plot or anything. He pops out of the woods and then he takes off within five seconds. So, I mean, I'm making a split second decision. Exactly. It's not like I sat there and was like, well, yeah, yeah, he's a good eight point. He looks like he's 20 inches wide. Good. He's got nine inch G twos. And yeah, <laughs> I think I'm going to take him. I was like, it's just not that way or a hunt or for, most of florida i mean all the guys i mean like i said they're they're moving on a mission it's not like you're seeing like he's may see out west or somewhere where they're they're out feeding in food plots and stuff like that even i mean in florida you can you know this you can bait even on corn piles i have never ever seen a big buck on a corn pile during daylight never i've seen them on a camera at night before the season starts once that season starts and they get a little bit of pressure, I, just, I have never had a buck come into a corn pile, so I don't hunt over them. I just I was right. like, no point. I, I'm like, I'm kind of like you. I'm I want to surprise them, so I'm not going to sit in the same stand, sit after sit. I'm not gonna, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but I hunt a lot. So if I'm going to go sit in the same stand time after time after time again, you start to realize that your sightings go way down after those first couple of hunts. Absolutely. I mean, the the we're the only creature on Earth, and and to to separate us from not being an animal is, I think, a mis- the first mistake of a lot of hunters. But we're the we're the only animal that fails to adapt on a routine basis. I mean, if if you think about it, a deer he walks through, he's prey. The first time he encounters a predator, he has to make a decision: Am I going to continue to come in this area, or am I not? And chances are, he's not going to come back to that area for a good while. Because he knows there's a predator there. So if you leave your scent there, and let's face it, a deer, their senses, both smell, hearing, all of them, mix up with the exception of maybe sight, uh, they're built to to detect us before we are built to, 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 to know they were there. And that unpredictability, that always shifting around, is the only way i found to consistently, more consistently, see bigger deer and also just more deer encounters on a routine basis. Right, I think that's. I think that that I, that whole idea of well, if I put in enough hours in this stand, something eventually is going to happen. I mean, maybe. You know, my dad did kill big deer that way, but you can't help but wonder how many did he did he uh, educate before those came out that way. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I did that for years, but I was just sure a lot of I, people do. The the big deer I saw were luck. I mean, I'll be the first to admit it, it was like well, it was just a lucky encounter. I mean, he was right. he happened to be chasing a doe. And I just happened to be sitting in the stand. But what I found over, like I said, over the last couple, last few years, is the more I move around, the more, the better quality of deer I see. I may see about the same numbers or whatever, but it seems like I just see a lot more quality if I move around. I was just saying I enjoy that. I enjoy packing my stand in trying to make decisions on the fly like do, or do i want to sit over here today or what wind am i playing i mean I, I love the whole the whole game it's not just like i'm just going to go sit in a stand and 
if a deer steps out, I'm going to shoot it. I, I want to, to try to outsmart this deer that's outsmart me 99 out of 100 times. I mean, exactly. that's the thing. That's, that's what I get out of it now is it's the challenge of the whole hunt, not just going hunting. Right. What I love about whitetail hunting. Well, I think, you know, another thing that a lot of southern hunters need to consider, and I don't mean to insult anybody's intelligence by saying this, is, you know, if if you've ever watched TV and then you've gone hunting, you've noticed a distinct difference between the guys on Drury Brothers and where you're hunting. We don't have these massive, uh, most people at least, don't have massive fields with funnels of hardwoods in between them. You know, we don't have drainage, you know, we don't typically speak and have big uh, drainage areas that we can rely on for crossing areas. The terrain is just not in our favor here. So it only it only makes sense to, to move around and try a bunch of different spots because, I mean, I'll be the first to tell you, there's 10 different bedding areas on my, my 120-acre farm that are all identical. And if I don't move around, I may not find the one that they're using because there's no reason for him not to use one of the other nine, you know? Um moving around I feel like is is more important here than perhaps a lot of places because there's just nothing to funnel them here yeah I mean you're not, right not like in the Midwest not like in the Midwest at least yeah yeah I mean like I said they have bedding and food yeah <laughs> everywhere <laughs> and, yeah in Florida it's you can you can eat and bed in the same spot <laughs> pretty much if yeah. you want to. <laughs> yeah. or you can walk across to the neighbor's place there's nothing keeping them per se on your property as well. I mean, you may see a buck at the beginning of the season. You may not see him again the rest of the season on camera. Shoot, no. So, I mean, I did kill the buck, the, the, the big buck I killed at the end of the season. We caught him on camera at the beginning of the season. He disappeared for at least two months on our cameras. And he made like a sighting, like a one, one sighting, and then he was gone again for a month. Right. So, so there was just... I, I, I couldn't pattern that deer. Did I kill him in the area that we had been seeing him? Yeah. <laughs> but I might have had three trail camera pics of him over four months. <laughs> so it's not like he had any predictability about him, but he was an older deer. He was a mature deer. And he knows if he wants to keep having them birthdays, that exactly. he can't be predictable. He has, to, he has to have the odds always in his favor. Because all it takes is for him to mess up one time. If that messes up one time that could be his life i can mess up the whole season and maybe get a shot at him but if he messes up one time that could be the time that i'm out there and i kill him so those mature deer know that and they they tend not to make too many mistakes unless there's a doe exactly yeah and that's really your one opportunity here uh, much like it is everywhere else in the states but really here it's that rut do not i mean i, I play my whole vacation time around it because you know i might catch one early season I might early, early on when they're still kind of on that summer pattern. But the only way I can hope that he's going to be moving. And, and here's the other thing down here. We have so much hard mass. I think it's a lot different for a lot of people. You have all that dense cover. And then you have a, a if you have a bumper crop of acorns plus the corn people are putting out. I think deer can disappear just by being right in front of you. You put a trail camera up. He doesn't have to move off of a 10 acre spot most days just to feed bed and find a, a lady friend. Yeah, I mean, and there's and the the buck to doe ratio. I mean, is uh, there's a lot of does. So, like you say, they, they might have to travel fifty yards, a hundred yards. Yeah, the doe. They don't. They don't have to go miles. I mean, they don't. There, there, there is none of that. It's like, oh, here's a doe. Okay, her. Yep. Then they move on to the next one. Like I say, I, I honestly think they're breeding most of the season 
I just don't see there's less and less does whenever we start thinking that it's the rut in my area. You know what I mean? Like, I think right. they breed them at the beginning of the season when they're coming in. Um, you'll see a little bit of that activity, but it really ramps up because at that point I'm thinking, it's like, well, a lot of the does have, have started to get bred. I mean, so we're on the, we're on the tail end of does that need to be bred. And that's why they're got, I got five girlfriends here. I mean, I can choose from any of them because there's not, there's not really any competition because that may be the buck to doe ratio. I don't even know what the buck to doe ratio is in Florida, but it's way off in most places, man. I've got, I'll see if I can find it. This would make an awesome Instagram post for everybody. I've got a, on trail camera, I've got a buck mounting a doe the first week of October on this farm. On the other side of the farm, two months later, it's like mid-December, I've got another buck breeding a doe there. I mean, you're, you're talking about a two-month-long a two right there. I mean, I've got I've, – I, well, I'll put it to you this way. I see – if I hunt on the field edge where I'm where I, on that farm, I see somewhere between 15 to 20 does every day, every morning, guaranteed. If I just want to take my wife out somewhere and see deer, I know I can take them to this field. I have never sat that field and not seen a deer. Right. But I can I can also tell you that but between you know camera photos and sightings during that same time period that I was hunting, I might get maybe three or four bucks, one one of great quality. I'm, and and I made I made strides I think this year between providing qual, uh, photos and constant feedback to the landowner. I said, man, we gotta we need to take some of the does off this thing. Otherwise, those bucks are just not gonna have to work to to find right. them. Yeah, sometimes those can work against you and like where i hunt there i mean there's a there's a ton of does which i think draws in bucks from other areas as well so i mean sometimes it can hurt you but like i said it's it's hard to pattern one because i mean that they're coming they can be coming from another the neighbors or somewhere else because they're looking for does it's 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 a challenge hunting florida but that's what also makes it fun (laughs) absolutely i mean i I, I don't, it is difficult. It is beyond difficult here. But to me, that that's just telling me I need to rise to the occasion. And you, you ended up killing a nice deer with the bow later in the season, didn't you? Um, I killed a decent buck later on in the season with my bow. I, what, sometimes what I'll do is I'll, I'll get caught up into like, oh, it's rifle. But then I'll, I'll always revert back to the bow, like at the end of the season. Right. I did kill a pretty good deer with my bow at the end of the season, which was a surprise to me because a lot of times, but I, it was a property that I left alone. Like I hunted it hard and then I left it alone for about a month and no one else was hunting in there either. So I think that kind of played in my favor is that the deer were kind of back on their pattern. Like no one had been, they hadn't been pressured for them. Uh, so they started to relax. They started to relax and. <laughs> That you can't do that in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Not with Chase Prince in the woods. Chase Prince is in the woods. You got to stay on your toes, evidently. <laughs> well, maybe it all depends on if my gun sighted or not. <laughs> <laughs> what did you ever identify? What did that? No, I I, I couldn't tell you. Uh, like I said, I I, I n- didn't have that problem after that. Um, so I couldn't tell you. Like I said, I I I am a superstitious guy. I. Yeah, I, I think it was from playing baseball back in the day. I, first, like you know how you got to wear your <laughs> your socks or you don't yeah. wear pants that you had. You hit a home run in or something. And that morning, I had stopped at the gas station, and I never pick up a penny on tails. Never. Oh no! And that morning, I bent down. I was like, "Man, 
I got to get over this superstition. I was like, I'm going <laughs> to, I picked it up, put it in my pocket. And I ended up missing a 130 inch eight point later that day. And I said, I'll never pick up a penny on sales again. <laughs> <laughs> never again oh. pick up a penny on sales. It, I mean, there could, unless, unless obviously there's a million of them sitting there, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In which case I'll just, I'll, I'll take my gun to the range and make sure it's on. So I don't know. I, I may, I, I've been contemplating hard this year. And like you said, I'm, I'm, I'm going out to Kansas this season, but that's in November. Uh, we're trying to hit the rut up there, but I may just hunt with the bow up until then because I really want to be dialed in for when I get a chance to go up to Kansas. So I don't want to hunt and then put my bow down, take a couple of weeks off, and then get to Kansas and be back to square one. So I really want to stay tuned in and because I know up there I, I have a good chance. I, my expectations aren't like I'm going to kill a 200 inch deer or a booner, but I think I'll have a shot at killing the Well, I, might I mean, have to hunt with a bow all season. <laughs> I mean, you if you if you kill uh, five or six deer with the with the bow here, and then go out to Kansas and kill a big deer, I think uh, you may have to start your own podcast because you must be onto something. <laughs> you need to be uh, talk, <laughs> talking to people. Probably better better lucky than get. I will say that I put in the work. I I put in my time and. Absolutely, I, I, you do. I'm, yeah. I'm going to work hard for it. I'm, I don't expect just to go out there and kill deer. I don't expect this season to be as good as last season, but I know I'm going to put in the time and I'm going to put in the work to try to try to make it like that. Uh, you just, I mean, some seasons you just it's, you just have that luck, or you just are unlucky. You just, I mean, but as far as putting in the work, you can you can pretty much guarantee that I'm going to put in the work. Yeah, give, given the right habitat, the right conditions. You get out. You get out of hunting re- with relation to quantity and quality of deer. You get out what you put in. Yes. Totally. Yep. It's a it's a one to one ratio. Well, buddy, I, I I appreciate you coming on. I I have thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you this evening and and uh, living vicariously through you. I I got I ate tag soup last year, and to hear about successful stories uh, does me well in the off season. Oh yeah, I mean, hey, I mean, sometimes, like I say, you'll eat tag soup, but that that just makes you want to work harder. That that'll make you just get out there, and maybe you'll do something different. Or who knows, you may kill the biggest deer you've ever seen this coming up season. You just you just don't know. That's what makes hunting so much fun. Having me on the show, I've been looking forward to being on the show since y'all started. Um, I'm glad you got the podcast going. It's good to uh, get on and just hear a story. Someone tell a story and. A lot of the stories, I'm like, man, I can I can just see myself right there along with them. So, uh, appreciate what you're doing, and uh, keep up the good work. Well, I appreciate the kind words. Hang on for me, stay on the line, and but guys, if if you enjoyed what you heard, please hit that subscribe button. Go to iTunes, go to Podbean, leave us a ranking that way, and and leave us some some feedback. More importantly, that way we can customize this podcast to to match your desires. Make sure that what we're doing is what you want. Please also visit our, our sponsor, Wild Edge Incorporated, and, and show him some love and, and look into what he's got. If y'all got any questions, he, he'll answer you immediately. And if, if you, you feel more comfortable reaching out to us, send us a message, and we'd, we'd love to, to talk with you and share our, our knowledge with it. And uh, y'all stay tuned. We'll talk to you soon. 
Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.